Hello all and welcome back to the TWTFM podcast. On the sofa with us now we have David Adler from the European Spring Movement and we have Keir Milburn of Asa Corbynism and Generation Left. Thank you very much for joining us guys. Hey, thanks for having us. So, what have you guys been up to so far at TWT? What are your highlights? What have you been doing? We'll start with you Keir. Um, well, uh, actually at, at TWT I'm doing the Asa Corbynism event tonight but we've been running two games as well, strategy games. So we ran a, a game this morning called The First Hundred Days, which is a, a modelling the first hundred days of a Corbyn government. Nice. Uh, and it went well. And so basically people had to come up with it. They had a talk from Christine Berry about her book, People Get Ready, about you know the past experience of left governments and <laughs> um, uh, the attacks they've come all under. All good, right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All, it's all gone well, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a long time ago. So I, I forget <laughs> the details. A few hiccups, uh, but yeah, basically. Yeah. I don't know what a bank run is, but it's like, <laughs> anyway, um so people had to listen to that, then come up with some scenarios, might, what might happen, and then half the room would play the, the scenarios that the other half of the room would play. So it sort of worked well, actually. And the, the aim was to sort of get people discussing. All right, so, so one half it. of the room comes up with a scenario, and the other half's got to try and like yeah. get out of it or whatever. Or oh, like you have a certain a number of sort of moves you can do to react to mm. a scenario. So okay. one half of the room comes up with the scenarios that the other half of the room has to play and vice versa, basically. Could you give us an example of a scenario and we'll see what David <laughs> says? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready. Test him. So, so in fact, we had, the, we had the Guardian podcast in recording at this. Then, and they sort of, I gave them a little interview and then they came across, they could record a little. And the scenario that was being read out was that the civil service had leaked they had leaked a story that John McDonnell had dementia. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think the Guardian might run with that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Front page. <laughs> yeah. No smoke response? without fire. Yeah, what's, uh, what's the what? ideal response? I guess I should be asking myself the same yeah, question. Cool. The <laughs> it depends who I am. Am I a saboteur inside the party? <laughs> or am I, am I a loyalist? Uh, How am no, I going to so play it? The, the actual game is you're playing, you're playing as social movement actors in a city. So you're, you might be sort of trying to respond to that in some way. Right. I actually don't know how they... Responded. I'm not going to speak about John John McDonald's potential <laughs> on a podcast. Okay, uh, let's should we move swiftly on. Yeah, we'll move on. Yeah. What have I been doing, David? Yeah, what have you been up to? Thank you, David. Well, you know, bits of inputs and outputs. You know, <laughs> trying to take the pulse of uh, of Corbynism these days. Uh, last year was my first year at TWT, and I just had a fantastic experience. You know, it was a very particular vibe. We were quite ecstatic I mean mm. it did feel mm. we, we, ha- we should be honest with ourselves it felt like we were days away mm-hmm. from yeah. number 10 uh, and things have played out slightly differently we're, but we're deeper we're, are, are, we're deeper into this f- fight in a more sophisticated way I think about people like Joe and Christine who've, who've written these books and we're hosting these seminars we're thinking a lot about the harder questions less euphoric kind of oh Jeremy Corbyn chants and more kind of what exactly are we doing here in terms of yeah, output, it feels serious. It feels serious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like trench warfare yeah. in a way that's both depressing because we're in the trenches and exciting because we're we're, we're in it. Yeah. Um, in terms of outputs, you know, uh, you would have interviewed Yanis, my my colleague, and the, our big points. The reason why we're excited to be here is because we want to push the Labour Party and push DWT uh, attendees towards a more internationalist perspective. Mm. Um, you know, solidarity is a big theme of TWT, and I think a lot of stock is put into labor as a force of internationalism. I think that that internationalism often ends up being symbolic, Mm. uh, you know, about an agenda of diversity and inclusion. We want to hear the perspectives of the Global South and kind of pat ourselves on the back for um, letting them into our party, uh, and is less institutional, you know, and my, my big axe to grind or my 
project is precisely about focusing us a bit more on what are the kinds of international institutions that we need yeah. to achieve, even domestically. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about scenarios. You know, what is the international context we need for a Corbyn government to succeed on a national level? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and how do we make move from a symbolic solidarity toward a more substantive institutional solidarity. Mm. And I'd like to like ask a couple of questions there because obviously you're working with uh, DM uh, 25 looking ahead to the 2025 European elections um, and running, you know, pan-European candidates. What lessons would you pick off the, you know, the last election that happened in May? Um, and work, would you work closer with, you know, people like, you know, well, obviously we probably going to be out of the European Union by then. Well, you never know, do you? But, you know, would you work closer with, you know, local parties across, well, national parties across the European Union? Um, or would you, are you still likely to run, you know, very individual candidates across different places? We learned a lot of things in this process. This is a psychotic thing that we chose to do, which was <laughs> to build this, this transnational party and run our own candidates. Mm -hmm. The first is that the institutions aren't there. Yeah. Um, national parties for better or for worse, are very durable. I mean, they've got deep, thick partisanship. They've got roots in society. You can't just erase it overnight in the name of some new exciting transnational project. And we're going to have to find clever, creative ways of, of blending local, regional, national politics into a more international framework. And that's that's the big question that I feel like is unasked at CWT. And it's a question that I'm hoping to bring to the table and that we can open up a broader discussion. What else did I learn that um, that that's really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, you know, my role in building that transnational party was specifically just to be the policy director. So building a transnational manifesto. And, you know, you put Poles, Portuguese in a room, you put Danes, the goddamn Danes. <laughs> and everyone's got different priorities. They yeah. have, you know, it's not just different political cultures. I was making a joke the other day, you know, some people get up on stage and they say, comrade, it's great to see you. And the polls pull me aside and they say, please, please don't yeah. refer to us as comrades. <laughs> so yeah. It rings very badly yeah. in the Polish year. Mm. And, you know, even this challenge of blending those political cultures is, is huge. So I feel like we're a bit glib about internationalism. And it's a word we all love. We all want to stand behind. But there are some hard questions about what exactly that means. No, that's interesting. And obviously, Keir, your work is focused very much, well, here in the UK. I have to confess, I haven't actually read the book yet, though. It's on the reading <laughs> list. It's on the reading list, I'm sure. It'll um, be on the compulsory re-education list as soon as Corbyn <laughs> is in power. Yes. You know? Exactly, exactly. Um, so tell me, we'll shift on swiftly. There's lots of avenues we could go down with Corbyn and internationalism. Um, but seeing as we've got you here, Keir, we'll switch to you know your subject of interest. Um, tell us a little bit about the book um, and then see where we go from there. Yeah, the book's called Generation Left. And it sort of starts from the, the from this from this phenomena, it tries to explain a phenomena of, and it's an international phenomena, it's not a global phenomena, but it's an international phenomena of, of age becoming a big point of political divergence, basically. And the general picture is young people moving to the left and older people moving to the right. Uh, um, in the book, I sort, of trace, I sort of trace several iterations of this, so I, like you know, the whole 2010-2011 movement, which was much more of a sort of European and then across to the, yeah. the US, etc. And as soon as you get into a national into a, a national electoral framework, that sort of simultaneity breaks down because electoral cycles are different in different countries, etc. Um, and, and also, you know, the, the political opportunity structures in different countries are very different. So, you know, in Spain, you have like you know, Podemos and any citizens' platforms emerge out of the 2011 <coughs> movements. Mm. 
Uh, whereas in, in America and the UK, uh, first past the post and electoral systems means it emerges in, in established parties like the Labour Party. So does this mean that, you, you know, just to sort of cut across these two, uh, that you'd be sort of sceptical about the possibility, uh, possibility yeah. even of build? you know, yeah, would th- you say it's more than just hard? I'm, I'm fine for yeah. you to just fine, tell yeah. me. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I would deeply... It is a genuine problem that has to be solved, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not just on the European level, you know, we need global governance f- for various reasons, partly because the flows of capital are on a global level, mm. uh, but also, uh, you know, what, what does climate change put on the agenda? You need to manage a global commons, basically, mm. you need a global governance structure for that. And our political frameworks are national, and that's not, that's insufficient. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How we do that, though, is a real, real big problem. Yeah, I, think, right? I mean, yeah. in... in <laughs> We're right at that gap. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at these kids who are striking in the street and, yeah. and you know, they're often described as latent internationalists in some way. And I think that that's true. It's a remarkable movement that transcends borders and, and the climate consciousness really is, does feel global. But we have failed them. Mm-hmm. We have given them no exciting mm-hmm. models of a progressive multilateralism that isn't the COP25 you know, nations coming to the table with their cheap diplomat- diplomatic negotiators who sign treaties and then walk away. We, do, we haven't given them an exciting way to think about what it would mean for them to band together. And maybe I'm being naive, of course, you know, we've had, we've had internationals in the past and they've gone mm-hmm. up in flames, but I do feel like something that TWT should be doing is uh, driving the same kind of creativity yeah. that's flowing through the policy discussions at the national level yeah. into a more international Well, you're right. I mean, it, it's no. not as though you, you can just neglect that space because, you know, there is transnational governance. There is a structure there already. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, going right back to the sort of Seattle protests, that was their point, that sort of free trade is not free. There is a bureaucracy there. Um, and, yeah, and... It, the advantage and the disadvantage, I guess, that we've got of these times is that um, more and more of the sort of middle, the slightly more empowered middle class uh, in this country is mm. at the sort of sharp end of that bureaucracy. So, so talking about building in and against the sort of international framework, the multilateral system, as it were, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but um, as I understand it, the book is very much about how, you know, as it says in the title, how the new generation of left-wing activists it often comes from uh, the young and even you know, traditionally middle-class families who are burdened down with a lot of st- student debt um, and a lot of uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, difficult living standards, you know, trying to break into the housing market, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, obviously, you can tell us more about that, but I'm interested as well from David's point of view. I imagine you did a lot of travelling with Yanis and Shreko and Pamela Anderson and whoever when you were moving around Europe um, before May. Did you see a lot of this sort of new? Long, young left zeitgeist were these the people that you often appealing to so maybe we'll start with Kira on that one yeah uh, I mean so, so basically I, 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 in, the, in the book I'm my, it's a generational analysis but I argue you have to make a generation and a class analysis together basically so, mm-hmm. so the, my argument is this generational differences aren't, aren't very important often they're not often the most important political thing Them, so, and, the, and it is now perhaps the 1960s was the last time where sort of generational conflict was dominating so there must be a cause for that, and it can't be just a 20-year cycle of baby boom and millennial, except to the way we normally think about generations, because that doesn't explain anything. You know, the cause is obvious. The, the cause is a, a massive decline in, the, in the, 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 the standard of living and the material prospects of young people, basically. And it's partly because what's happened since 2008, so 2008 is the event that, that sparks this big crisis period we're, we're within, 
what happens, what did governments do since 2008? You know, quantitative easing, taking on the, on the bad debts of the banks. It's basically just this huge, huge ocean of money given to the financial sector. Socialism for the rich. Socialism for the rich. And basically what's happened is a lot of that money has just gone to the super, super rich. But some of it, or from there, has gone into inflating asset prices, yeah. house prices <coughs> and stock prices. In a country like the UK, there's just a massive generational divide mm. in that. And so for, for the wealthier sections of, of, of the older population, they've sort of had their interests constructed to be aligned with the interests of the financial sector to a certain degree. If the financial sector's doing well, well, their interests are met in some ways, right? Mm. Whereas the, the young, their economic, the material interests are, are dependent on the level of wages and the level of social spending. And that has just been utterly catastrophic since 2008. Uh, so that's where the sort of the divide lies. But if, you, if, you, if, I'm at, if, you, if it's not an age-based thing or purely an age-based thing, mm. it's a construction or recomposition of class, that means that we could offer older people or at least some certain section of older people a, you know, different material interests, different ways to satisfy their material interests, mm. which could peel a layer of, of that off into an alliance with the poorer sections of society. I, can, I, can, I mean, I, I think this analysis is completely accurate. And I, I, you know, I think that if you look at the UK level, there's, you can trace everything back to the politics of housing and, yeah. and the asset price boom in the 90s. I think a lot about these generational differences uh, in a slightly more pessimistic way. I think that we tend to be very glib about the... Uh, or uh, overconfident about the radical the seeds of radical politics in the youth. Mm-hmm. We look at these climate strikers and we're like, we know that the climate crisis is the ultimate contradiction of capitalism, telling us that we're getting richer while we're actually moving towards extinction. We see that, mm-hmm. but uh, we take for granted that the kids see it as well. Yeah. And what's, in, what's been interesting to work on the European level, um, you do get a kind of you do see a lot of varieties of green capitalism so to speak i mean you do see young people in germany whose climate consciousness is not leading them to vote left it's leading them to vote green and green liberal you know uh and we talked about the first past the post system which is just a scourge on politics in many ways (laughs) but one of the hidden blessings of it is that it doesn't allow for the cleavage to form that is decimating left parties in Europe, which is between an older, wider, more rural proletariat in deindustrialized zones, whether it's in Germany and France and wherever, and in more the younger, more diverse, uh, urban precariat, Mm -hmm. who is more, you know, pro-European, Erasmus, feel good, whatever. Mm. You know, and labor is l- still quite lucky. I mean, it's obviously starting to tear at the seams a bit. But if you can put those people under the same roof politically, mm-hmm. you can do a lot of amazing mm-hmm. stuff yeah. because you can basically say, we're going to put a socially liberal agenda with an economically redistributive one. But in Germany, you know, the left has been destroyed. Mm. The, that, the, for- the former has gone far right in many places and the latter has gone green. I mean, mm. the, in a, a green yeah. in a way that there's nothing radical mm. about it. Um, so it's a different context. Yeah, but in in, the, in my book, I'm, so basically, I'm sort of like trying to think how did this how did this emerge? And so one of them is, you know, 2008, it alters material interests, right? But you can't just move from material interest to political action. It doesn't work that way. If it did, it'd be a very simple world, and we would be somewhere else. So you know, it, it, the material interests open up the possibility for a, for a, for a different political project to, to have an effect, basically. So in the book, I sort of look at like 2010, 2011. As, as forming like a, a generational core, a political core. In this country, you could see it in the sort of student movement, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 
Novara Media is just outside here. Mm. You know, the, 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 the people who set that up come out of that core. Mm. It wasn't massive in the UK. It turned out it was, it was big enough to have a really big effect on the Labour Party. In mm. Spain, 2010 was very, very big. You know, really, really big. In Germany, hardly anything happened. Do you know what I mean? So, the, and, and in other countries, you know, it didn't, doesn't touch it at all. So there's sort of, it's, you, have a, you have a generational core that emerges, which is on, on the left, and their job is then to go out and hegemize, well, yeah. the wider potential of, uh, of, the, of that generation of 2008 who have the decline in material interest. But just because your material interests are falling, that can be formed into various different political yeah. projects, basically. What you have, though, is the collapse of the, collapse of the politics that pre-existed 2008, mm. the centre has just collapsed. Basically. Yeah, we, we can't wait for demographics to do our politics for mm. us. That's the mistake that <laughs> yeah, yeah. the Democrats made yeah. in America, complacent yeah. about it. And well, that's the other, because the other, the other crisis is not the economic crisis, the climate crisis. Yeah. And that's moving back this way. Yeah. The worse that gets, the harder it is to get a democratic solution to climate change. You know, the worse the effects get, the harder it is to get a democratic solution to climate change. But but in in you know so so this that, it is amazing that you know this, the, the the youth strike on Friday etc. And it is worrying that the solutions being put forward are basically it's still at the level of please will you will you sort it out as though it's a, some sort of effort of will rather than you know divided interests basically mm. that we're not all in it together. But it's not a crisis that's going to go away for young people. Do you know what I mean? You can see a sort of there's at least a potential for this to be a, 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 a onward sort of radicalizing moment. Climate change is not going away. It's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, my only concern is to say that I see, at its worst, a lot of leftists salivating at the climate crisis because they believe, in a very it's a very tempting belief, yeah. that things must get worse to get better. And I see the same kind of thing in the Brexit debate. You know, there's a sense that it prevailed, I think, quite neatly at the last Labour conference that, you know, maybe things have to get a little bit worse mm. for enough of the radical energy to get charged and then spent. And I just, you know, Stuart Hall had a great line about this uh, in his Moving Right show where he was just like, this is folly. You know, when things get worse, yeah. it often just strengthens the hands of capital. And yeah. uh, you are foolish to think that the climate crisis is going to just, by its own dynamic, yeah, involve yeah. the lead to the destruction of the, the capitalist system that produced it. So, I'm sorry, I'm in a very depressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really there's think you know. to be depressed about. There's no. <laughs> uh, and that's why I'm happy to be here. This is yeah. yes. this, this is by far the most exciting place to be. Um, in you know, I, I'm from Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I'm desperate to bring this kind of energy back to the States where progressives don't have a thing like the world transform. We don't have a forum for us to be talking about these kinds of ideas. We're not bringing together uh, amazing people with great books like yours to talk about <laughs> these, these really tough questions. Um, but, you know, I live on the continent and it is dire. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, Good. we're happy to have you. Um, and before we wrap up this fascinating conversation, thank you both for, for joining us. Is there any sessions or panels or anything you'd like to plug um, to our audience out there? Hopefully we'll get this podcast out this evening um, for tomorrow or future events that they should keep a lookout for, for the European Spring Movement or for, you know, uh, anything to do with acid Corbynism, Novara. This we've is your chance. <laughs> we've got an acid Corbynism session in, uh, at 7.30 in the, the big marquee down on the main bit there and okay. we're gonna just to, uh, for that sort of um little bit of hope we're going to be doing it we're going to be running a sort of uh, a session where people have got to they've got to think up different policies which will uh, maximize the creative the collective joy within a city basically wow. a city council has taken over and their remit is no longer development for <laughs> developers 
a developer led development it is we want to maximize collective joy in the city mm. acid joy policies tomorrow i'm speaking uh with the crew at ippr about culture and capitalism and, amazing uh, do you know where that's happening um we should probably know. Frankly, I don't. No, uh, but there's a, the new progressive review that they put out is about this question, and I've I've written a bit about uh, why we need to nationalize PR agencies and uh, take more seriously the question of the challenge of the creative industries and their uh, destructive effect on the Look, our culture. I, c I can't resist. I know we've gone over time, but I've this is uh, something that I have a view on because uh, obviously. Uh, Boris Johnson's government at the moment is launching a sort of PR blitz um, and yeah it seems kind of sickening that they're doing it but at the same time they've established a precedent and you know if we have a left perspective we think that all corporate advertising is propaganda anyway so you know at least they're sort of <laughs> you know uh, yes. move the ballpark so that the state can do it now it's fair game once we're in because we're going to need to change the culture I'm going to do one last plug yeah I'm going to go on tomorrow tomorrow evening 7 o'clock we're doing a, uh, parts per million which is a climate crisis game in the activities tent uh, come along and um, solve the climate crisis awesome for all at last awesome <laughs> and we'll make sure we get this podcast out this evening so that uh, we can all send people your way thank you both for joining us thanks on this very much it's been great. thank you for watching